Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, data, data everywhere. So what's the big deal about data when it comes to marketing your products and your services? A lot. Successful marketing today hinges on gaining insight from the mountains of data. You've got it. You're capturing it. You're curating it. You're storing it. You're looking at it. You have to build great relationships. And more than that, you have to build memorable experiences with your customers and prospects. The secret to all of that is in the data. But what are you going to do about it? So here's the big money question. Do you have the right people? and the right tools on board right now, and if not, how are you going to get them, to help you sift through all that information and find the beautiful golden nuggets of opportunity? What a wonderful question. I have a panel of experts today who are going to help us figure this out, give you some insights into what should you do, what can you do, what do you need to do to survive and pull those nuggets from this pile of data. Sounds like a pretty picture. Let's see how beautiful it is. First up on the panel is Andrew Jones. He's an analyst at the Altimeter Group, and he sent me the following quote. Customer identity today is a shattered mirror. With little pieces of it spread throughout the organization, customer service sees a different piece of the profile than sales does or marketing or loyalty. Welcome, Andrew Jones. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me. So let's hear what you have to say. This is another picture here, a shattered mirror with little pieces spread throughout the organization. And we know what happens to shattered mirrors, Andrew. It's really bad luck. So talk to me. Let's get started. (laughs) Well, the customer journey or customer life cycle, it's become so incredibly complex and fragmented. It moves across a wide variety of channels and devices. And alongside that journey, customer data has proliferated in, in all sorts of databases, CRM, e-commerce, um, customer service, web analytics, uh, loyalty programs. And as a result, enterprises have so much data, troves of data about their, their customers But that customer data is collected and stored in silos throughout the organization. So it's somewhat counterintuitive, but the more data organizations collect today, the more fragmented their view of the customer often becomes. So uh, rather than get a, you know, a richer and more complete picture of the customer, all of that influx of of data throughout the journey has actually meant most organizations see this this shattered mirror, this fragmented uh, picture of the customer instead of the the, complete picture. So um, the result is that companies understand customers in limited dimensions, often in the context of, say, transactions or if they've called in for customer service, but rarely as more complete individuals. And if you only have that limited context, then as an organization, we're still sending untargeted, you know, batch and blast emails. We're serving static web pages. We're delivering similar ads or the same ad to everyone or maybe small segments. And the ability to build relationships depends on our ability to interact with customers in, in personal ways. We can't build relationships and create valuable relationships with customers if we can't understand who they are to begin to build relationships with them. 
Thank you, Andrew. I have a question for you before we move to our second panelist. The question is, do companies realize this? We're sitting here talking about it. People are listening. Are they going to be clunking themselves on the side of the head and saying, OMG, that's what's wrong. That's what we're doing wrong. That's why we're losing market share. That's why customers are slowly slipping or quickly slipping away and going to competition. We now have to get it. Is this a revelation or do they know it and they just either don't have the money, the time, the inclination, or they're lazy and not doing anything? What, What What's your observation from the vantage point of Altimeter Group, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. Um, the technology is very difficult. You think about the number of integrations that are required to really put together a complete customer profile, and it, you're looking at hundreds, if not thousands. Um, but it's also an organizational shift because different departments, different business units have different pieces of customer data. And organizationally, we're still structured to to engage with customers as a department as opposed to throughout the whole customer journey or life cycle. Um, and even though the, the life cycle has really now moved across different departments um, from a customer perspective, organizations haven't really been able to adapt for a variety of reasons, technology certain being, certainly being one, organization being another, um, and, and even, even things like putting together the right content to actually then talk to the customer once you understand even who they are. Um, there are a lot of challenges that go into this. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. Great start to our topic. Let's turn to our second panelist. He was on with me about two years ago, welcoming him back. It's Esteban Kolsky. He's the principal and founder of ThinkJar. And let me read Esteban's quote, and then we'll, we'll hear his voice. He says, customers don't care about brands. Brands care about customers. This, to me, Esteban, should be painted on a wall, put on the side of a bus, crocheted on a pillow. It sounds very, very important. So welcome back. How are you? And talk to me, Esteban Kolsky. I'm doing great, and I cannot believe that it's been two years. I thought it was yesterday last time, but you know, oh, going back to what I said. Uh, yes. yes, you know what? Customers couldn't care less about brands. Nobody ever got up in the morning and said, I want to engage with my bank. Nobody went to work and said, I wish my company was, you know, more this and more that so I could engage with them better. Um, the, the biggest problem and, and, you know, a little bit of a counterpoint to what Andrew was just saying is that it's not that companies, you know, don't understand customers. It's that companies don't care to understand customers. All, all the problems that Andrew described, every single one of them has been caused by themselves by taking a com- company-centric approach by looking only at their operations, what will make their life easier, what data they need for that specific second, without a regard to like how much, how much time, how much problem or whatever it's going to cost to the customer to go through it, without it really understanding what they're going to do with it. They collect data for the purpose of collecting data, just like I collect you know, technical gadgets. It's just mm-hmm. not something that actually can be sustained. They, they, they really don't care about the customers at all. They're just making one piece of the puzzle. For them, it's about making money. And honestly, if we are to realize that and we actually you know, design our services and processes around that, we'll be in a much better position. Esteban, how do you get customers to care about brands? Brands are spending so much money and time saying, oh, we're putting this effort in the brand and we care about the customer experience and we want this to to be something that's amenable to you so you'll shout from the rooftops of social media and tell everybody how great we are because you love our brand. You're saying customers don't even care about brands. Is that across the board or at any particular industry, any particular geography? How pervasive is this, Esteban? So, so two parts to that answer, right? The first part is that, you know, the reason customers don't care about brand is, is mostly because of what you just said. 
brands design the experiences for customers, they design journeys for customers, they mm-hmm. tell customers what they have to do, how they have to feel, how they have to act, what they have to like now come from, from an interaction versus actually letting the customers do what they want to do. You want somebody to care about you? Let them do what they want to do. Let them do what they need to do for their own. And, and let me ask you a second part to this question. Let me ask you a question. How yes. many brands do you care about? Not a lot. Your customer. Okay. Not a lot. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's like we are customers, and we take the approach inside the organization that, like, you know, our customers are going to be different than we are as customers. You know, our customers will actually put up with a lot of stuff that we do just because, well, we said that they have to do it that way. But we wouldn't put up with the same on our customer roles. That's okay. the biggest issue. Thank you, Esteban. Great insights. I'm glad we're taking it in different directions. And let's turn to our third panelist today. I'd like to welcome back a very recent guest. His name is Con Ternali. He's a global senior director in business intelligence. That's BI at SAP. And here's a quote from Peter Drucker sent to me by Con, and he'll explain in a minute. He says, the aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well that the product or service fits him and her and sells itself in an ideal world. Wouldn't that be great? Welcome back, Conternelli. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. Great to be back, doing fantastic. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes about marketing and mm-hmm. about customer, for that matter, uh, because if you consider for a moment what customer insight is all about, this quote articulates it in a simple and beautiful way. So, when we look at the markets, when we look at consumers, customers, there's a fundamental shift, no doubt about it. New technologies such as mobile, real-time, predictive, et cetera, et cetera, are creating new opportunities, no doubt about it. And there's the data deluge that we're going to talk about. But I feel that the fundamentals of customer insight, uh, or marketing for that matter, have not changed. We want to better understand why the consumer cares uh, for a specific brand. Now, I know that contradicts what Esteban said, but uh, it doesn't have to be a brand, a product or solution, because when I go to a store or when I'm online, I'm buying a product, and there has to be a reason, whether it's price, repetition, uh, reputation, uh, all of those things. Uh, so we want to better understand that. Uh, and then the underlying motivations that influence their attitude and actions. So the question of how has changed, but I feel that the question of what remains mostly the same. And I think this quote highlights exactly that. Khan, I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you the question Esteban asked me. Do you have brands you care about and can you want to share one or two with us? That's an interesting question. And when mm-hmm. Esteban was explaining with him, uh, explaining that, I was agreeing with him partially in that if we de- define care is I want to engage, I want to get involved, that's one thing. But I define care or engagement that I have certain expectations from a brand, and I, mm-hmm. I expect that they deliver, for example, quality products, that they, mm-hmm. they make my uh, interaction with them easier, simpler. They help me uh, increase the quality of my life or, or my events. So in that regard, I do care in that I am very selective when it comes to certain things, and we'll talk about uh, in five minutes about the, what's in your cup. Uh, I, I go for certain brands because not only I like their quality of products, but I like the way they, they sell it, they uh, service it. 
Very interesting. Thank you, Con. And by the way, that's a great segue because it's time for the What's in Your Cup segment right this very second, and you're going to be third on the list. So you have a minute to think about it and drop a brand on me. We love that, Con. Andrew Jones, circling back to you. You know this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We want to know what you're drinking either right this minute, if it's interesting, and if not, what do you wish you were drinking? What are you dreaming was in your cup? Talk to me, Andrew. Um, Several years ago, my my now fiance um, got me into drinking mint tea, and that happens to be what I have in my cup. Um, I I was never I'd never really drink coffee, never really drank much of anything other than probably water um, if I was going to drink anything in the morning. But now it's one of my favorite things just to be able to get up and have a nice cup of warm mint tea. I love that. Andrew, I have a question for you. When I go to a, and I'm, I'm a mint tea devotee as well. So I, I get it. I open the packet when you go to a restaurant and they bring it to you in a sealed packet. I actually open it up and I smell the aroma wafting out of the packet and I'll pass it around the table. Whoever's with me at dinner and I'll say, you gotta smell this. It's just amazing. But question for you. Do you notice in some restaurants you say, I'd like mint tea and they said, we only have peppermint. Is that okay? I still don't understand that. Do you? <laughs> yeah, and, and and because my girlfriend, my fiance, and I go through so much of it, we buy it in bulk, um, loose leaf, and then we have what what looks like it comes in the mail and looks like we're drug importers or something. <laughs> huge, huge bags of uh, mint tea. Andrew, this is just you and me and Khan and, and Esteban on nobody's listening. Nobody will yes, ever know your secrets. No one, else. <laughs> no one else will know. Khan, you swear you to secrecy. So you order the, the tea loose and then you pack it yourself or you put it in one of those little tea strainers? Yeah, we, we have a, a nice little um, teapot that we got when we were in Japan and we have a, a strainer that goes with it. So we always just put it into the strainer and, and then let it steep and pour it from there. Andrew, I, love I have it. We're, to say, that's dedication. That is yeah. dedication. <laughs> Isn't that? I was going to say, we're changing the name to uh, to uh, How to Brew the Best Tea with Game Changers, courtesy yeah. of Andrew Jones. Thank you, Andrew. I said, make me smile. You certainly did, and I'm laughing with appreciation. Esteban Kolsky, I will not ask you to top that, but tell me a good story. What are you drinking? Well, you know me and my coffee, but I have a very mild roasted Southern Pacific coffee with a touch of almond milk that is being steamed to create a wonderful cappuccino like I make every morning. Oh, nice. Very, very nice. Is there and a brand way, on you. that? Yeah. I'm sorry? Is there a brand name to what you're drinking? No, actually, you know what? I buy from a coffee purveyor that like makes a mix based on like things that you choose. So uh, there's no brand to it. There's just uh, oh. You so know, it's, it's the Esteban Kolsky brand. If I went in and I'd say, I want what Esteban's drinking, that would be creating a brand, right? And if they give it to you, then you know what? I'm going to be very upset because it's what I care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about making our topic work for the panelists. We certainly are. And if you went to my hairdresser and said, I want Bonnie Red, she's not going to give you the formula either. So there. <laughs> I won't take your coffee. You don't take my hair color. Contranelli, what are you drinking today? Bonnie, as you know, I'm a huge Starbucks fan. There's the drop of a brand name. And I love my coffee in the morning. Uh, same story I told a few weeks ago. Like many of our listeners, it's a ritual for me. Uh, the, amount of I, the, the amount I consume changes with the amount of sleep I get the night before. So right now I'm having 12 ounces of Pike Place with a pack of sugar in the raw. But here's a quick story about tea. A couple of years ago, mm-hmm. I had to stop <laughs> caffeine intake temporarily for a procedure. So my mom said, why don't you try herbal tea? The problem is... Herbal tea doesn't taste like coffee and doesn't have any caffeine. <laughs> anyway, 
needless to say, I wasn't too crazy about it first, but I gave it a shot and tried chamomile tea, and I have to admit, I am hooked on it. But only after I have my morning coffee. If it's a.m., nothing can compete with my coffee, but in the p.m., tea is king. I love it. I we're gonna now change the show, the show name again to True Confessions about what's in your cup with game changers. I I think we have a whole new format here. Wait till I tell SAP. Guess what, guys? You have earned yourselves a break. So go brew something or refresh the cup or heat it up. We're talking today. Our topic today is data deluge or deluge, if you like that one. Customer insight challenges and opportunities. You've got the data. You know it's there. You're doing something with it, but are you doing the right things? Are you finding those nuggets? of opportunity, the Customer Insight Challenge Solutions. We're going to talk more about it with my special guest today, and they're a charming group, Andrew Jones at Altimeter Group, Esteban Kolsky at ThinkJar, and Contranali at SAP. Don't even think of, oh, and I'm Bonnie. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss the roundtable. 25 minutes straight through. It's a marathon. Great insights coming your way. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. There we are. We're done with Coffee Break, and now it's time to work. Our topic today is Data Deluge, Customer Insight Challenges and Opportunities. My panelists today are Andrew Jones, analyst at Altimeter Group, Esteban Kolsky, principal and founder of ThinkJar, and Con Ternali, Global Senior Director of Business Intelligence at SAP. We're going to get this marathon roundtable started with Andrew Jones up first. Andrew, let's dive into the basics. You say start with the objective. Why does customer data matter? So let's drill down. Why don't you level set for me, and then we will ask Esteban and Khan to chime in. Go ahead, Andrew Jones. Well, marketing used to be all about uh, basically informing the prospect or customer about a product or service. And today, because of all the data that we have, it's actually changed, I think, the way that we need to define marketing. Um, and even the customer relationship at large, really we can have a customer relationship in a new way, in a way that we haven't been able to before. Um, building a relationship is, is worth a lot more um, and can, can be used to actually create more revenue for, for, for an organization. Um, basically, as, as Khan said, 
customer expectations have changed as as they've been able to have access to more technology. Um, they've been empowered through all the, the different devices and channels that are available to them, um, and even the ability to connect to one another. But organizations, to Esteban's point, they haven't been able to to change the way that they're organizing around the customer. They're still thinking in silos, um, whether it's marketing or customer service, um, loyalty. I mean, each, each department is thinking about their individual relationship with the customer as opposed to the brand or, or organizational uh, relationship with the customer. And that really needs to change. Um, and that really is also what data is enabling. So it's a matter of organizationally figuring out how are we going to organize around the customer and then how are we going to use the data to do that more effectively? Andrew, quick question. Are we referencing big enterprises? Are we looking also down at the full range, the full spectrum of SMEs, small to midsize, or are we also even addressing startups? I want to give a reference point for our listeners. We have listeners in over 130 countries, regions, states. We have uh, we have people all over the world listening from all size, maturities, footprints, and geos of companies. So who are you referencing when you say organization, Andrew? Yeah, that's a great question. Even though large enterprises are the ones that have so much more data about their customers, I think it's actually the smaller organizations that are able to understand and make this shift to organize, organizing around the customer much more easily than a lot of the large organizations because mm-hmm. they've been established with huge departments um, and they're effectively, I mean, they're set up in silos. It's the way they've been built, whereas smaller organizations can be a, a bit more adaptive, I think. And, and even the technology the type of scale that we're talking about when we discuss data about customers um, is much easier to deal with if you are a smaller organization than a much uh, a much bigger one. Thank you, Andrew. Esteban Kolsky and or Contranelli, who wants to chime in? There's a big topic here. Well, so can I start by turning your question around uh, from mm-hmm. is there a data deluge to do, I mean, from, you know, what are we going to do with data? With that? Is there really a data deluge? And, and, and okay. bear with me for a second here. But are we really overwhelmed with data or are we overwhelmed with noise? And that's, that's a key question that most companies are failing to ask today because I will give you every single data point that you want to give me about the quantity of data that we're processing, that we're seeing every day, how in the last two years we, we created more data than we created since the beginning of humanity, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, like, you know, Twitter, can, nobody can keep up with the Twitter fire hose. It's too much, and Twitter estimates that, you know, most people miss 30% of the fire hose but not being able to process it in real time. Perfect. Uh, that's all right. But you know what? Is that data or is that noise? And, and, and that's, that's a key question. That's the question that companies need to ask themselves because if it is noise, you're really not getting any value out of it. I was so how did to, they, uh, how, go ahead, Con. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think Esteban is on the right track. Uh, so first of all, there's definitely more data, uh, but more data doesn't guarantee better information or better decisions. So there is no more data. I mean, the, the amount of data that we see growing by, by bringing Internet of Things to the fray, by bringing social and bringing whatever, it really comes back to be like, you know, a normal data increase for any company doing operations. I mean, any company yeah. who's operating and growing customers is going to grow 5 to 10% a year. And that's the growth that we've seen coming in from all these like, new data sources. So are we really deluged by data or are we deluged by noise that we don't know what to do with it? That's the key question. True, but also you have to think about the the impact of technology. So today, if I have the mobile technology involved in my process, I have a better way of capturing uh, my interactions with my customer. And I'm not talking about 
social media or commenting on a product purchase. But I'll give you one example from my personal life, uh, CVS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to carry their loyalty card. I shop there quite a bit because uh, we use them as a pharmacy. But the point is now my mobile device is my primary mode of interaction to either take, to, you know, take advantage of the discounts or do things. My point is before that was limited to the card, I might have not had the card, and I could pull it up with a phone number, et cetera. So my point, uh, we have additional ways of capturing that data. And if that data happens to link to strategy, to our strategy, then I think there's more data uh, just by quantity. You are absolutely you're right, proving, You're proving my point. A mobile device captures information about your location, how long you've been on network, mm-hmm. where you've been, where you're going, all that information that is captured. That's wonderful. What if CBS does with that? Nothing. It hasn't changed. That's correct. That's, that's correct. Have, that's correct. But, but the opportunity is there that that wasn't there before, right, Esteban? So yeah, the, yes. the opportunity right. is there, but definitely, that's, right? That's what, that's what it comes down to. Just because sure. it exists doesn't mean that you actually get to do something. I think Andrew that. wants to join the party. Andrew, do I hear you? <laughs> no, I was just agreeing. I mean, it's, it's a matter of opportunity, and I think that opportunity, few organizations have really been able to to not only see the opportunity, but take advantage of it. And, and we see a lot of technology vendors trying to address this from a wide variety of, of perspectives, um, addressing what data we have and how to basically get the best context about the customers. Because Esteban, of course, is right. It's not about how much data we have. It's how much insight we have about them. And how, it's, how, it's the context we have about them. Sales doesn't need to know. 10,000 data points about about a customer or a prospect, they need to know very specific things that will help them do their job better um, and also meet the customer expectations in terms of they want a consistent experience. They want each department throughout their, their customer experience, their their engagement with the, with the brand to be the same. They want to be treated, treated as an individual and not um, as a different person if they, if they talk to one person and then another. Well, all good. you know, there's, Go there's one part to that. I mean, I'm sorry, but there's one part to that, and I agree with Andrew partly on that. But, but the bottom line, I mean, at the end of everything, the problem comes down to, like, you know, if you go into any organization, any size, anywhere, any, pick one, whoever is your favorite brand or whatever, right? If you go into any organization, you're going to find out that there's probably less than 1% of people in that organization that truly know what data means and what data does and what data comes from and what data goes and how to use it. And these are not data scientists. This is just like, you know, regular business people. So, I mean, that's the biggest problem we have to solve. It's the fact that we call data anything that we come in that comes into the organization is called data when it really should be called noise, filter appropriately, and then we have data. Interesting. I don't think noise is as sexy a word in the business context as data is, Esteban, but I know where you're coming from. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, we're going to all talk about big noise today. Okay. Esteban, I have a question for you. You mentioned to me in some of your notes some statistics. I'm going to read one or two, and I'd like you to comment and, and have the other panelists chime in. You said 88% of customers don't want to engage with brands. That's different from they don't care. Don't want to engage, Esteban. To me, those are fighting words. And then you say more than three Three-quarters of brands don't know how to engage with customers. You want to tell us where these numbers come from, and let's pull them apart, because I think this is very important for everyone to understand. What's the veracity of these numbers? Okay, so, so I mean, I, I could, I could, you know, go flip on the body and say I made them up, but actually I didn't make them up. The I didn't think so. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Esteban, you wouldn't do that to SAP Game Changers Radio, would you really? I, I am an analyst. <laughs> I would do that to anybody, but that's not the point. <laughs> 
<laughs> we got to stop the show. Stop, stop the show. It's been three months last year uh, talking to senior marketing people around the world about engagement. Um, I wrote a report that was published a couple months ago, finally, um, that, that talks about this. And the, the first number, the 80%, comes from a study that Bain and company did that found out that 80% of people don't want to engage with their, with their brands. And uh, in the same study found that, uh, uh, if I get these numbers right, 80% of companies believe they're doing a good job in customer experience, and only 8% of the customers agree that they're doing a good job in customer experience. Um, the second number came from my conversations. I actually interviewed 45-ish, 43, 44, 45 senior professionals, uh, CMOs, and SVPs of marketing from around the world and around industries about engagement. Uh, it was between one and two hour conversations with each of them. And uh, one of the biggest things that came out of that was that my, my attempt to define engagement. And one of the biggest things is that like nobody knows what engagement means. They have no idea what they're trying to do when they engage with customers. They just say, we need to engage. Everybody engage, but they don't know why or what for. So what does it mean to you, Esteban? Let's get an let's engage with Esteban and get a definition of engagement. Let's educate everybody. What so, is the definition here, here, you want people to remember? So, so here's the outcome of this report: is we actually defined engagement. We came up with a formula for engagement. We came up with a mm-hmm. model for engagement. And the, the very short version of it is like engagement is a function of trust and knowledge over time. You know, every time you have an interaction, you bring trust and you bring knowledge. You bring trust because you trust the person they're interacting with, and you gain more knowledge from their interaction. When you repeat that over time, that becomes mm-hmm. engagement. The problem is that, like, you know, we all think that engagement is a single interaction. So what we do is we create experience to engage customers at each interaction, and customers don't work that way. Customers just want an answer, or they want a product, or they want a service, or whatever they're there to get. So if we were to actually approach it from that perspective and understand that engagement only happens over time, then we would have a much better interaction that would lead to engagement over the long run. I, I definitely agree with Esteban over the piece about the over time. And I, I, I want to throw the customer journey. Uh, I think that's one of the most I important things. I want to throw things. the customer journey away. No, no, no. I, I didn't mean throw out. I meant <laughs> no. I throw that on the table. One of the most important things we need to accomplish uh, is the ability to paint the entire picture of our customer's journey as we interact with them. Um, in other words, the complete customer journey. But, but as you said, Esteban, by looking at it over time and throughout the customer's journey, not just snap, snapshots or individual standalone experiences, you know, positive or negative, uh, I think then we have the opportunity to manage the entire experience and gain enormous rewards, the ones that you have uh, listed, you know, from en- enhanced customer satisfaction to reduce churn and so forth. So I think the, the understanding the customer journey but looking at it over time is critical. So how about if I were to say there is no customer journey? Well, you've been, you, you've, been, you've been pretty good this morning. I would say absolutely. Why not? This there is, is myth-busting no with Game Changers. I just, Esteban, I just changed the name of the show again. Myth-busting with Esteban and company. Esteban, what do you mean there is no customer experience? Talk to me. The concept me. of customer journey assumes that a customer will take the same path every single time that they do a specific action. And reality is it's not the way. I mean, again, we are all consumers, right? Think about the way we do things. Mm-hmm. One day we may have time, one day we don't have time. One day we like, you know, need information for a specific purpose, and the next day it's for a different purpose. Intent changes the journey every single time. And the problem is companies design experiences and companies design journeys to put customers in a known path. From my experience, customer journey is the last historical cry of an organization to try to hold on to control the customer when they lost it. 
That's that, what it means. That's true. That's true. But think about it. If you travel to see your parents uh, out in uh, California, and I know you won't because I think you're already there, but if I were to do that, that journey, uh, whether I take the plane, drive across the country, is going to be different. But the important thing is that journey is going to have certain elements that are going right. to repeat and other, other elements that are going to be variable. So when we say customer journey, what we're trying to understand is how the customer, okay, each time as he or she interacts with our products, solutions, and yes, we killed brand, but how is that customer experiencing, consuming that, that whole relationship? I mean, those are the things that we want to find out. And, and going back to the earlier point, we have now an opportunity to drill into more detail with additional data points that we didn't have before. But he's just proved my point. The only reason you want to find out is because you want to know, not because it will benefit the customer. Take your example. You take a journey to California, right? You, your initial intent may have been to go see your parents, and uh, you're going to choose wh which way you're going to travel. And along the way, several things are going to happen, and they're going to be dealt with, and then you eventually you're going to get there, and you're going to see your parents. That's all great, right? But what's the, the thing that actually was built? Was here, the outcome built or was the journey here, built? Because, I mean, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I mean, okay, go in, ahead. The process, in the process of you making the decision how you're going to travel, you have several different pieces of infrastructure that have been put in place at your disposal. You have a whole you know, network of airlines and airplanes. You have trains. You have buses. You have roads. You have cars. All these pieces of infrastructure were built not for the purpose of your journey, but so you can actually make decisions every step of the way and, and, and act on those decisions. So you as a company are much better served by building a great infrastructure than by trying to build a customer journey. And that's true, big, true but big, through, data, big, through data, if I find out that 90% of my customers are taking that journey by plane, then I have an opportunity not only to improve their journey, but to benefit as, a, or as an organization from that data insight. And that's what, what we call customer, actionable insights that could get us there. What if yeah, the other customer journey is just a framework. Is it's just a reference point to look at to look at this whole process. And there are insights to be had increasingly throughout that journey because these basically there are more digital breadcrumbs or whatever you want to call them throughout throughout that journey. Um, and the journey is becoming increasingly fragmented and nonlinear. But throughout that journey, there are certain things that we can learn about the customer um, as individuals too, not not just aggregate, but as individuals increasingly. Um, that can be very valuable to an organization. Why is it and so hard for you guys to give up control? Why, why do you need to know everything there is to know? Es Esteban, this is Bonnie. I'm going to agree with you, but I want to propose something. I'm going to say something. Tell me if it's naive or silly or if I'm just missing the point. To me, customer journey belongs to the customer, not to the organization or the brand. If I go shopping at a grocery store, I'm the customer. It's my journey. Will I go to Wallbaums? Will I go to Pathmark? Will I go to the 24-hour limelight market right across the street? I'm looking at their window right now. When I go to buy shoes, where will I go? Will it be online? Will it be to a local shoe store? Will it be the shoe department at Macy's or Nordstrom's? So it's my journey. Isn't it up to the company to figure out without prying into my life why I went to, took my journey to that shoe department, to that store, to that online shopping place? So Esteban, am I right that the customer Bonnie, journey belongs to the customer? Bonnie, you're making total sense. You know why you're making oh, total sense? Oh, thank God. You know why, why it's making total sense? Because this is the big difference between a, co a company mapping the customer journey and you doing whatever the heck you want to do. That's Thank the you. Big difference.
Thank you. Thank you. That's what I figured. So companies, so we're talking about data. Uh, Khan, I want to go to one of your talking points. By the way, this is one of the liveliest conversation. I'm calling this a debate instead of just a roundtable that we've had in a long time. So bravo to the three of you. Very, very lively and wonderful. I, I want to also shout out to Mike Boysen, who is joining us on Twitter today. He has a picture. He's wearing a red, looks like a baseball cap and a wonderful smile. Mike, thanks for joining us. And Trevor Miles is also... Oh, he's not okay. Well, his smile is. Trevor, Trevor Miles is joining us. He's at, at Miles Ahead, and we have SAP Radio. I believe that's Malcolm Kimberlin joining us. Thanks, guys, for tweeting along with my, my panelists today. So, Khan, I want to turn to a talking point in your notes, and you say we want to paint a complete picture of the 360-degree customer profile. Now, let's dial back a minute into everything we've been saying in this very heated conversation. What does that 360-degree customer profile mean, and how does a company, let's say a mid-sized company, figure that out? Is it their version of that customer profile? How do they find who that person really is? Talk to me. So, you know, there I was thinking uh, this whole predictive and real time. And, and as you say, medium and small, um, you know, the gap between what large organizations can do and the smaller enterprises can uh, go for, uh, obviously that's getting erased slowly. But um, I was thinking, uh, you know, this goes back to the whole intuition versus data-driven decision-making. We talked about this uh, a little bit uh, earlier uh, on our show. So are we making decisions based on, uh, based only on experience and intuition? Uh, you know, people uh, automatically assume that this is about historical data, uh, but we're not just looking at what happened in the past. But more importantly, we want to find out how things are trending and which direction mm-hmm. they are moving. I feel that uh, most of our opportunities and challenges to our business aren't necessarily with what happened in the past, but rather it's what is likely to happen in the future. And if we can effectively find and successfully analyze trends in our data, although Esteban and I may have a different uh, a perspective on this, then we can effectively reduce the, 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 the time frame it takes to detect the market change and be able to do something about it. So the large organizations, I think, are uh, uh, seeing the benefits and they are getting into it. Uh, the small and medium uh, organizations are uh, uh, venturing into this because cloud technology and some other technology makes it available. So at the end of the day, uh, this not only enables us uh, to make faster, better informed decisions, but also uh, the actionable insight we can get out of those uh, uh, investments can drive growth and profitability. Uh, so basically, if you go back, uh, we can talk about customer one, and we may discuss this further uh, later on the show, but, you know, the, the personalization, customization, all that good stuff. And then imagine if the possibility is there to do this real time. Thank you. Thank you, Khan. Uh, Andrew, thoughts on what Khan just brought up for us on the customer profile? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, the, the customer journey, or whatever we want to call it, is, <laughs> is so dynamic and so nonlinear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so um, dynamic, and the, the customer data along the way is dynamic. Um, even the permissions along, alongside it are dynamic. So even the, the, the data we collect has to be adjusted, um, even retroactively often. Um, we might know something about an individual, and they change, say, their privacy permissions or you know, what they want us to have access to. And we have to often also go back and change what we know about the customer. So um, 
Part of the conversation is, is because a lot of this has to do with, you know, PII or personally identifying information. Um, it's also, you know, how do we address how dynamic all of this is organizationally um, and from a data, data standpoint? Andrew, I want to go back to something, and thank you for that. I want to go back to something you mentioned, I believe, when we were talking about your opening quote at the beginning of the show. You talked about marketers are still sending untargeted, what you call batch and blast emails. They've got static web pages. The same ad goes out to thousands and thousands and millions of people. Is this out of laziness? Is this out of frustration? Is this out of the fact that they just don't know what else to do? What do you think? And then I want Esteban and Khan to join in. What's your thought on this, Andrew? Well, to, I think to Esteban's point, um, the customer has this, this you know, they're, they're going to do their own thing. Um, and increasingly, I mean, the, the, co- the company hasn't adjusted to, to that customer. They, they haven't put the customer at the center of what they're doing. Um, and that, that really needs to change. Before you even talk about, you know, how the data is going to be worked with, um, what data points you need and and are necessary to actually engage with that customer to build experiences for them to to message them um, ideally as as personally as possible and begin to build a relationship with them. Okay, Esteban, what are your thoughts on what Andrew just said? Uh, agree, I, I, disagree? I'm trying. I'm trying really hard not to be the guy who picks on on Khan and or, or Andrew on this, but but it's so hard. I mean, but you're this, the only other guy, one, Esteban. These guys are the mouthpiece for for the failed the failed understanding of of what social brought about. I mean, social has been a, a, a communications revolution that changed the direction of the communication. The customer is in control. There's nothing you can do. You're not going to change it. You're not going to put it back. You can't unspill the spilled milk. You can't put it back in the Pandora box. It's done. Customers own everything now, and we have to adapt to that. Trying to control journeys and experiences and information and whatnot, it's not going to make it. I mean, if you, see, if you read what Doc Searles has been writing for, like, you know, a decade now about, you know, VRN, the, 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 the ability of the customer to control their own information, it's starting to become a reality. More and more people are backing away from brands and from, from, from you know, organized, you know, interactions because they don't want to compromise their data and their privacy. And we're going to see that continue through the next few years. The companies that actually realize that today and they start to change the processes are going to be the ones that win. The companies that continue to try to map customer journeys and control profiles and, and store data and whatnot are going to miss the boat by a mile you know, in the next two or three years. We have sped up things so much in the last five years. We don't have the ability to like, you know, fail one time and then get it right anymore. But so, Esteban, I want to be able to send you, Esteban, a completely different message than, than Khan, perhaps, because you're not the same person. You care about different things. Yeah, but do you want let me let me worry about the message that I get. Don't send me the message. You generate the content and I'll find it. I promise you. Uh, Esteban, I, I, is there a point in I would just want to ask you is I my question was is it lazy to send out these these batch types of emails? It, are they it companies is. that do this are they treading water until they figure it out or they simply are clueless? Is there hope for them no, Esteban? I mean, they're, 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 they're continuing what they know how to do because they have met with certain levels of success in the past. But I mean, come mm-hmm. on, seriously, we're going to talk about success when a 1% open rate on an email campaign is considered like wonderful. That's success. One percent of the people that you send an email to will open it, and that's considered wonderful. 
Come on. I mean, you know, how about like, you know, looking at the long tail approach? How about like finding the, the message that, that works for like, you know, that, that person and, and creating the content so that person can find it in their communities? How about taking a completely different approach and saying like, you know what, they don't want me to send them an email. They want to find the information. So I should make the information available. I should invest, instead of investing in like, you know, sending an email, I should invest in creating a community or, or like fueling a community. I should invest in putting expertise out there and putting thought leadership out there and then let them find it and let them come to me. It's scary, but you know what? It works much better. <laughs> so uh, Esteban has too much passion, so I will not disagree <laughs> with him on that topic. However, you I want to go back to <laughs> I want to go back to Andrew's uh, why marketers are still sending untargeted batch and blast. So I want to mm-hmm. uh, explore that one. So I want to give an example. So, so let's say uh, it, it, age group, right? It's not enough to know the specific age group or gender that uh, buy our products. Let's say for argument's sake, uh, female, 18 to 40. That's a good start, but we need to be able to ask more questions, drill down into more detail. Do we know, for example, what types of women in that range uh, are doing so? Are they married? Are they uh, mostly young professional? What about education? Now, now, some of these data points may not be available, and others may be available, but are they reliable, and so on. So the important thing is, I think, that uh, not that any of these groups represent an automatic choice or they are better than the other, but without the granularity in the data, uh, and again, I'm going to use customer insight as the term that I'm going to use, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we will not be able to successfully identify the right customer segments. Uh, moreover, if we don't know the answers to, to these questions, at least some of them, or we can't trust the data, then how can we effectively tailor our messaging and placement? So that goes back to your question, Bonnie. Okay, thank you. And I have a question for the whole panel. We're talking about privacy. We're talking about getting the data, the right data, from the right people at the right time, gleaning those insights, finding the nuggets. That's what we've been discussing. My question for the panel is, is it a tug of war with the customer to give you those insights, or is it a seesaw where at some point in time, yeah, they'll fill out some questionnaires, and they'll say, wait a minute, I gave too much information, and then it'll swing back the pendulum to the protection of the customer data, and then it'll swing the other way, and you put out a campaign, maybe one of Andrew's campaigns, people say, yeah, that looks interesting. I think I'll fill this out or I'll sign up or subscribe for something. Esteban, what are your thoughts? Push me, pull you, tug of war or a seesaw in terms of brands and companies being able to get the data they need for what Khan calls the 360 customer profile. Esteban? So, so, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, level down the passion a little bit, apparently. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's all I'm just, you know, I'm just following your lead, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I, mean, I hate to I hate to start every sentence with like, well, I disagree with, but but you Yo, know. go ahead. That's okay. That's <laughs> fine. The, the, the Absolutely. It, it all goes it goes goes to the argument that I've been making, you know, trying to make, which is like you know, customers are in control, right? So mm-hmm. there's no push. There's gotta be a pull. Customers pull what they want, they find what they need, okay. and they get their job done. I mean, your job as a company is no longer to push information, but to generate the information, generate the content, generate the knowledge, generate the data, and then let the customer decide how they want to interact with what they have. I mean, we are seeing more and more people that are actually reading the terms of service from online services before they sign up, if you can imagine that. And when they read it, they get shocked and they don't sign up. I quit Facebook three years ago, and every time that my, my friends said you had to go back in, I go in, open the terms of service, and never get it past the first paragraph. Privacy is important to me. I'm an old school guy. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, my data is mine. It all comes down to data ownership. That's the bottom line. Who owns the data gets to do with the data wherever they want. And the companies, the organizations in the last few years mistakenly thought that they own the customer data. And that's just wrong. 
That was my point exactly. And guess what? I'm going to take a break to give you all a chance to cool down and get ready for the crystal ball <laughs> round. When we're, I want Khan, I want Andrew, and I want Esteban to go out and find that crystal ball. Though I think some of you already found it, polished it off, waxed it up, and you're ready to tell me if it's blue skies ahead for what we, we thought we were calling day-to-day luge, customer insight challenges and opportunities. I'm not sure what the terminology is anymore after this very passionate roundtable. Thank you, Esteban, Khan, and Andrew. We'll be right back after the break. You don't want to miss predictions from my panelists, Andrew Jones at Altimeter Group, Esteban Kolsky at ThinkJar, Contranali at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and glad for it, and that's my brand. We'll be right back. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. I think we've been turning a lot of definitions and terminology on their end. We're talking about customer journey, customer experience, customer profile. Who owns the data? We do, you and I, as customers. But when you work for a company, you want a piece of that data. So where is it all going in the next five or six years? I'm going to ask my three panelists, starting with Andrew Jones, analyst at Altimeter Group, to look ahead, Andrew, in your crystal ball. I know you've got one. I don't know whether you got it out of the boat shed or the trunk of the car or the back of the airplane, whatever you're driving today. And I want you to tell me if we dialed forward to 2019 or if you like the idea that hindsight's 2020 go all the way to the year 2020 and tell me what would we be talking about any of the these terms we've been throwing across the the bow here for the past hour what would we be talking about in the future talk to me andrew jones well i, I mean i think the privacy uh conversation will continue to evolve but but certainly i think the data deluge will continue and and personalization as a result is coming, um, and it's not it's not six years away. I think in another two years it will really be to to, to a pretty big, big degree that companies can personalize the content that that they are creating, the experiences that they're creating, um, because it's not just pushing messages; it's also creating experiences. If I'm a uh, if I'm a consumer if, and I go to the SAP website, SAP being, by the way, one of the few companies that is personalizing even their homepage for every single person that lands on it. It's very interesting. Um, there's just so much, there's a huge amount of customer data and brands um, and vendors are already starting to get smart about integrating it. 
And um, if you look at Inter- Interscope Records, for example, is they've been a very always innovative um, kind of forward-looking company, uh, part of Universal Music Group. They they've been using social signals um, to the extent that they can can identify individuals in social media, um, get permission to access their profiles and the social data that they can get about them and the social signals that they create, and actually identify what artists that those individuals care about. And they've used that to improve their email messaging. Um, they're also going to use it in other channels, but their email open rates have gone from, you know, 6 or 7% up to, um, with a limited amount, amount of data, up to 16 17%, and up mm. to as much as 67% um, in really, really targeted emails to specific individuals that they know care about specific artists um, of theirs. So I, I, I kind of disagree that um, with Esteban in terms of, you know, companies just need to create content and, and people will find it. I think it, it obviously needs to be a continued um, effort to, to make sure that the content reaches the right people. Um, but personalization and targeting to the extent that you can identify who actually wants to see that information is going to be not only important, but, but possible um, to, to a pretty, pretty great extent, I think, because of data in the very near future. Thank you, Andrew. Quick question before we turn to Esteban. I know he has some interesting predictions. Andrew, in your opening quote to me, you said customer identity today is a shattered mirror. Pieces spread across the organization. Will that mirror come back together again? Will it be a new mirror or will it be patched up in the next five or six years quickly? (laughs) It's always going to be a patchwork. There's no way you can always Mm -hmm. get all of the data that you possibly want or need about a customer. But but yeah, organizations um, will shift in terms of how they're structured. Um, increasingly, I think, hopefully, at least, putting customers more at the center and, and trying to understand, you know, what do they want um, and where do they want it, and then creating those that content and experiences for them at the right time in the right place, um, you know, exactly the right relevant content. Thank you, um, Andrew. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you. And thank you for the, the great case study. We appreciate that. We love those takeaways. Esteban Kolsky, I can give you exactly two minutes. Predict for me. Go. Two minutes. Uh, well, I mean, if you follow what I've been saying, companies will get more power over the data. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's, here's the bottom line. I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time, and I will continue to, to talk about this. And, and, and to me, my, my measure of success is when somebody who's not an analyst agrees with me and when an analyst disagrees with me. So I'm very happy in this show so far. But, but <laughs> here's the bottom line. The, the, you know, I'll give you the, the, the 30 to seconds to one-minute overview. Okay. There's, there's data that's going to continue to grow, you know, even noise or, or data or whatever you want to call it, it's going to continue to grow. There's no questions about it. Digital transformation is here to stay. Everything is going digital. That means there's going to be more data, more knowledge, more content being created. You know, every second that has been created since the moment that humanity started, whatever you want to call it, that's fine with me. But the, the point is, like, you know, it's not the creation. It's not the, exist, the existence of it that matters. It's the what do you do with it. And that's what more and more companies are beginning to realize. I mean, there's companies that process massive amounts of information, you know, data content and knowledge uh, on a daily basis, and they don't go anywhere. They haven't improved their operations. They haven't improved their revenue, the bottom line, the top line, whatever. They haven't done anything with it. So they're starting to realize that it's not the amount of data. It's not the deluge. It's like, you know, what you actually get to do with it. And they're changing their operations around, and they're starting to look at it from the outcomes firm's perspective. What do we want to do? 
and then try to back into it with the data that you have and the data that you have available to get to that point. That's, that's what the future is going to hold. The next five years is going to see more and more companies fall into this realization, and it's going to see vendors realize that it's not about providing more technology and faster and, and, and speedier technology, but about you know, properly using the technology to support this outcomes-based approach. It's all about the outcome at first and then go from there. The second part to that is like, you know, the consumers. Consumers are realizing that they have more power over the data than ever before. Before, you had no idea where your data was. Today, you do. It's, you put it there. So it's up to you to start to control that, to start to rein that. We're going to see legislation start to come up in certain places, but more important than that is we're going to see consumers start to question everything that the company uses data, why they're using the data, what's the outcome, and if it aligns with them. And if it doesn't align with them, then you know, they're going to they're gonna balk about it. They're going to say no. Esteban, this is Esteban, I've want to. I got to stop you because we are almost out of time. <laughs> I, have to, I, I love where you're going with this. Khan, I, that, no, sorry. Khan, one minute, go, because I need no a minute problem, to close. So. I have two predictions in my crystal bowl today. First, yes. uh, I see real-time analytics continue to provide uh, tremendous opportunities uh, by enabling us to deliver a high degree of personalization and, I would say, relevance to the customer, the customer one I talked about. And second is the integration of unstructured data sources such as social uh, and uh, multimedia, et cetera, with traditional data sources such as CRM continue to improve and uh, its analysis becomes standard. I think those unstructured data sources such as social will be assumed and will be an integral as well as intimate part of the customer profile that I talked about earlier. Thank you very much, Con. Perfect agree. for me. I got about 30 seconds to close here. So tomorrow is Thursday, Future of Business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. We're worth getting up early for a Monday. We circle back again with our weekly rounds, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Tuesday, it's not Belgium, it's HR Trends with Game Changers. And Wednesday, we'll be right here, back here again with a live edition of Coffee Break. Thank you, Andrew Jones at Altimeter Group. Thank you, Esteban Kolsky at Think Jar. We have to talk. And thank you, Contornelli at SAP, for helping me come up with this topic. This was a wow. Thanks to Malcolm Kimberlin for tweeting. Esteban, you can talk and tweet at the same time. Thank you very much. And to our other tweeters today, Mike Boyson and Trevor Miles, appreciate it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early on Future of Business with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Have a great week.